Which one's the best crypto asset? Well, Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best. There's no second best crypto asset. There's a crypto asset. It's called Bitcoin, right? Right? There's no second best. Okay. Welcome to the Why Bitcoin Show with me, Dale Warburton. It's a weekly podcast on why Bitcoin matters and what makes it fundamentally different to every other crypto token in existence. I've seen firsthand how crypto really works, and my mission is to speak to the brightest minds on earth to help ordinary people distill crypto fact from fiction. Because as Lynn Olden says, and it's spot on, those that conflate Bitcoin and crypto simply don't understand either. Hello, Ivan. Welcome to the Why Bitcoin Show. Hello, Dale. Great to have you here, Ivan. I've got Ivan uh, Makadonsky. I hope I'm saying your name right there, man. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> okay, good. Ivan is from Breeze, one of the more well-known Bitcoin companies. And uh, I guess we'll get into a little bit about that. But I always like to start, Ivan, just with the first question of just like, who are you? And uh, how did you first encounter Bitcoin? Well, I'm... Uh just a pleb uh, that uh, over the years uh, heard uh, about Bitcoin here and there, that some people made money. Uh, but uh, in 2020, uh, my girlfriend bought one Ethereum and she was uh, poking me, let's learn, uh, learn about this so we can make money. And I said, go away, this is a scam. I don't want to do anything uh, in that space. But uh, increasingly, obviously in uh, 2020 and uh, 2021, uh, the bull market was in full force and uh, everybody was talking about this. Uh, and at some point, uh there was one colleague that uh decided to retire uh, because he won the jackpot or whatever and a close friend decided to return the money that he owed me because of this and i that was the breaking point for me okay now i'm going to learn now i'm going to learn to prove that this is a scam that was my intention going into it. Okay. And I started learning December 2021, my Christmas vacation for 10 days straight, uh, 16 hours a day, uh, all the podcasts in 3x the speed. And in three days, I found out, okay, I am absolutely right about crypto, but Bitcoin is different. And from then on, I just started to... Uh, even test more and more that theory to find a breaking point uh, for Bitcoin, why even that uh, might fail. But I couldn't find anything and just uh, that is an adapting, evolving mechanism. And then it started to consume my life even after these 10 days of yes. uh, binging. And at some point I said, okay, this is my life's mission and I don't know how, I don't know exactly what, but I am devoting my life to contribute to this because this is such a big idea and it's going to liberate so many people out of poverty and out of slavery and out of all those bad things that are happening now. And I felt compelled. It's not that I wanted to, but I just felt compelled and for the first time in my life, I think that I was searching for all my life 
that to give good to society and the goodness in you to finally be able to shine and to contribute to the betterment of the people around me and to uh, humanity. And because of that, I said, okay, I'm quitting uh, my fear job and started reaching out to absolutely everyone. And the very lucky thing for me was I reached out to some predominant uh, people in the space. And uh, one of them said, oh, I'm coming to Bulgaria for a conference. And I said, what? <laughs> I didn't know about this. And the next day I bought the VIP ticket for the conference in Bulgaria. I invested even other things in the conference uh, so I can make uh, an impression. And uh, luckily, those kinds of people put me in front of the Breeze team later on. And out of the interviews that the Breeze team did, they decided to go with me. And now I'm a full-time working in uh, Breeze. But not when I'm not working in Breeze, I'm working for Bitcoin. What a great story, man. Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. The one is you've got that characteristic that I think a lot of Bitcoiners have. They're obsessive. It seems like, you know, you spent your Christmas holiday just obsessed about this thing because you wanted to dig deep. And I think that's what I've learned from Bitcoin and just Bitcoiners in general are people who like to really go deep. And Obviously, I definitely resonate with the whole notion of this is a tool for humanity to uplift themselves and to basically get out of the debt-based system and the slavery that we find ourselves in. What I'd be interested to know, and this is going to be potentially a bit of an ignorant question, but like, how did you find the right resources to teach you about Bitcoin? I mean, were they in English or were they in your native tongue? I'm sorry, I don't know necessarily what Bulgarians speak. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, we speak a uh, Bulgarian language, which is so. <laughs> very dominant for Bulgarians. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're a country of uh, six, seven million people. And let's say there are two million people outside of our borders uh, now all over the world. But it's a very, very small language. But I was working and I know English pretty well now for more than 15, even 20 years. So I consumed uh, in English. Okay. And so maybe I was lucky, but uh, because I was intentionally trying to prove that this was a scam, one of the first videos that I went into was debate about Bitcoin. And there was the negative side and the positive side. And there was, there was one Soho forum, something like that, where Safety Manomus is on one side, on the other was somebody else. There was even Peter Schiff on the other side, another video and another guy. But there were like four or five of those debates that I mm. managed to find. And also on Impact Theory, Tom Boyle uh, invited guests there. And it was, uh, some guests were about uh, Ethereum, uh, some were about Bitcoin. But from then, I just branched out and tried, because I was binging, I was following where it could lead me, uh, the information, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And going through first principles, the deepest truth going through this, if something doesn't make sense, I go deeper. 
And the only thing that continued to make sense was Bitcoin. And because if you go deeper to the crypto, any type of crypto, you hit a point, okay, yeah, like this is a problem. It might not be a problem right now, but uh, this is either a centralization problem or whatever the case might be. And I think almost all of them have a, a centralization problem. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, when I found, I would say, the Sailor series on Breedlove, uh, then it kind of started the solidification process for me about Bitcoin. And then I would say the three biggest themes right now that are extremely important is the engineering point of view. And I, by my education, I was supposed to be an engineer, but never finished. Okay. But I still have that type of mind. And uh, salary is very good at that, uh, thinking from the engineer's perspective. The second extremely important uh, theme, how to look uh, through life and uh, Bitcoin is uh, Jeff Booth, uh, Price of Tomorrow, and what technology is. That technology is a deflationary force, mm -hmm. and uh, every currency is inflationary force. And how that thing plays out. In the third thing, when I heard that, I said, okay, uh, I usually don't force people uh, about anything. But when I heard Jason Larry about the power projection uh, game that we play in world mm -hmm. and how Bitcoin uh, plays a part in that uh, game, then I was like, okay, this is so much bigger and so important for humanity. Then Every single relative, like now is in Bitcoin on my side, like I, I threw my book. I am not going to let people force, but for this thing is so important that the people that I care about, I did whatever is necessary to get them on board. And now I, as I said in the beginning, this is my life's mission to onboard as many people as I can. And yeah. Wonderful. Uh, I'll leave it here. Yeah. <laughs> how you want to take it. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. So, you know, you said something earlier that I was going to touch on too, which is like you felt drawn into it. Like you didn't want to do it, but you felt almost compelled to do it. I feel similar about what I'm doing, you know, by launching a podcast. I sort of thought I have to get this out. Like it's just this, uh, it's this thing that's burning inside and just says, let's get this out. And so, I definitely resonate with that. And of course, you know, the idea of once you've seen this thing and you see its power, you just want to talk to as many people about it. Um, and so part of what having a podcast is, is about, it's about my, it's about an opportunity for me to talk to someone other than my wife, uh, because she's tired <laughs> of hearing about Bitcoin. So yeah, but I think, you know, and you also touched on a bunch of really interesting aspects because it was like hundred percent, the engineering side of things bitcoin is this perfectly engineered um, technology and it's so rare that you find something that sort of version one is done it's so rare but in this case it, it just blended all these amazing elements and then of course yeah i've been listening to a lot of jeff booth of late and you know the the idea that somehow we are you know the the world is naturally inclined towards growth in perpetuity is only like a fiat idea. Like, you know, it's not natural for things just to grow indefinitely. It needs to 
be funded by debt. And so therefore your money becomes like a melting ice cube, as Sada says. So it's interesting though, that even though you're the opposite end of the world, that somehow like all of these amazing brains have infiltrated your brain and they've infiltrated mine. And I was sitting here in Australia. So, okay. So that's very interesting. Now I'd like to find out a little bit more about breeze and i think just to frame the conversation it could be useful just to give a very high level of kind of what breeze is and what lightning is at a very high level uh, just in case there's any folks who don't quite get it yeah i will start like you said bitcoin is perfectly engineered i wouldn't say it's perfectly engineered but it's perfectly engineered for one purpose and that is to protect the 21 million because in one article jeff will says there's a blockchain trilemma, and I would even expand it that there's that trilemma applies for every single money or every single medium of exchange. That on one side you have security, the other side you have decentralization, and the third side is scalability. So, uh, and you can pick only two of those. In order to have functional society up until this point, everything got into the uh, centralized entity of some sort and we had to trust uh, somebody but now for the first time in humanity satoshi sacrificed scalability in order to protect that 21 million and through proof of work that thing protects the whole network from systemic exploitation from actors outside but decentralization protects the whole system from systemic exploitation from the inside. What happens uh, right now with central banks, uh, how they exploit the rules and after the central banks is the politician and let's not get into it, but those yeah. are two systemic exploitation. How if that thing was sacrificed, 21 million would be exploitable for whatever reason and whatever happens. And because of that, Actors from the outside said, okay, let's attack it on that whole system because it's not scalable. We're going to make it faster on whatever, like Solana type of uh, blockchain or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they don't think that uh, when you've sacrificed scalability, that means you can build a second layer that is built on that foundational layer that is scalable. And I would say that Lightning is that uh, second layer that has the potential to make Bitcoin scalable, to have transactions be instant for small, for small amounts and to be infinitely scalable. But I would say still in the uh, one other podcast, uh, somebody compared, if you have a transaction in the first layer of Bitcoin, it's like having a transaction uh, in a tank. It's extremely secure and you go and transact those resources to where they want to go. But if you want to go pay to the coffee shop, you don't necessarily need that tank <laughs> to protect the money that you're going to pay for the uh, coffee in Starbucks or, or wherever. And that's kind of uh, the thing of lighting what it's trying to solve. And now what Breeze is, the Breeze application is basically a few interfaces how you uh, can interact in this Lightning network. One of the interfaces is a wallet, how I can send you. And even if you have a Lightning wallet, it would be great to send you some sounds. I love uh, to do that on a podcast, but maybe a bit later. 
uh, and how you uh, through a wallet you uh, have your own funds and uh, send it instantly all over the world through any type of uh, medium. The second interface in uh, the Breeze application is a podcasting player. And that podcasting player is you can listen to any podcast that's available there and you can stream sats to, to the podcast uh, itself. So right now, if you upload uh, your podcast there and when I listen to it and I decide, okay, I'm going to stream you five sats every minute. And the system take, uh, takes care of, is taking care of that in the background. So every minute that I listen, because you're providing value to me, I'm going to stream you five sats. Or if I don't want to stream you five sats, I just say, okay, this is, was very valuable to me and I'm going to boost you. I'm going to send you, let's say 5,000 sats because what you provided for me, I'm happy to give you that amount of sets and not only that but on again behind the scenes when you have a producer or if you decide to you can even split what you receive you can say okay my producer receives uh, 10% my promoter receives uh, 10% the podcast itself receives 80% or even you can split it with particular episodes. Okay, for this episode, I'm going to share the fees even with the person that is on my podcast. So when somebody goes 5,000, you can say, okay, because you are a guest and you are also providing value in the podcast, I'm going to share, let's say, two, three, five percent or whatever you decide. But all those kinds of things are available in um, the podcasting player in Breeze. And the third interface in the Breeze application is a point of sale terminal. So right now, all those small merchants, they can't afford a point of sale terminal because of the high fees and all the impediments there. Uh, somebody that is selling something on the street can't take your cre uh, credit card because that's too high fees for them and contracts and maybe some of them are not even allowed to have a bank account especially mm -hmm. in the poorest countries, but the point of sale terminal is absolutely free and you can put all the menus that all the items that you're selling in it and let's say it's a bar and you sell manhattan cocktails sex on the beach cocktail beers some uh, cashews or whatever you put all those items in it you put the amounts in the currency that you're operating so you put, let's say the beer is one Aussie dollar. I don't know if that's true. Uh, the cocktail is uh, two Aussie dollars and all those things. And the uh, Breeze application is basically uh, converting that in real time in sets. So you don't have to think, oh, what's the exchange rate? So I transfer that amount in the wallet. So mm -hmm. all that is again, taken care of in the background. And you just have a fully functional uh, point of sale terminal and you can receive sales to it. And I would say that is the application itself, but it's a lot, lot more, uh, but I'll leave. Uh, okay, let's leave it at that question. for now. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. So I'm familiar with the, uh, with the wallet interface, so that makes sense. Um, 
And I think the value from value model is a really interesting one, particularly in the podcast space. And I've even had people reach out to me and say that, yeah, like, have you considered working with Breeze and that kind of stuff just to, to try and achieve it? Frankly, I don't know how to do it yet. I haven't spent the time. I've got to do the work. I've been on a podcast with some other guys, uh, the Two Bit Idiots, shout out to them. And uh, they shared the, the sats with me. So I got seven or 800 sats out of that one. So I think there's a lot of value for this now. And I recognize that we're really early. I think the the third piece is really interesting because, you know, I, I come from South Africa. So, you know, there's a lot of people, I can't give you the stats right now, but a big chunk of the African continent is unbanked, as you, as you know. And so, you know, I guess the idea of having effectively your money sitting on this phone, this unconfiscatable money and being able to transact peer to peer without any intermediary, nobody can nobody can debase it. It's obviously very powerful. Talk to me just about that sort of user experience. One of the important things about Breeze, if we want to bring Bitcoin to 8 billion people, is that it has to have the properties of Bitcoin. It has to be a non-custodial, uh, so it can be peer-to-peer, because some of the wallets are custodial solutions. And even if I, let's say, use my custodial solution and you're on another custodial solution and I send you SAS through the Lightning Network, you have the super fast uh, sending. But there isn't a government or a bank or a payment processor between us, but there are two custodial solutions between us, which is a very attackable surface when the government says, oh, those are banks because they're holding money for other people. And when they finish the fight with the crypto uh, stuff, they'll turn their eye onto the custodial solutions on Bitcoin. And Breeze says, okay, we have to preserve that property because when it's non-custodial, uh, I can send from me to you and only me and you are involved. Uh, you have your own keys and yes, it is on the device. But let's say, oh, that device, I need to switch it. Then you switch to the new device and the funds are there. It's not in uh, Breeze. And some people ask us where Breeze is popular. We don't know because we don't track absolutely anything. We just know how many are sent and stuff like that. Wow. We just want to provide that experience for the person. And the balance for us, how we think of it is... There are two very important things when you create functionality for people. On the one side, we have uh, the friction for the user experience. And the point of sale is irrelevant on the functionality side because everybody can say, okay, I have a beer. That beer costs whatever amount. Uh, again, let's say one Aussie dollar. How much is that in SAT? And you charge the customer for that SAT. But people choose convenience. And if you save that uh, convenience through technology, that effort, uh, if you save that effort for the user, you reduce the friction and mm -hmm. they will choose whatever is easier for them. And that balance has to be struck. And on the other side is, are we creating choke points? So if you are creating a choke point, then that means that that particular point becomes centralized. And when regulators or attacks or whatever happens, means it will create a systemic risk. 
So that is why Breezy is focusing so hard on non-custodial. Even it took uh, that it took uh, so much longer uh, than let's say a custodial solution. Now we are ready to give all that functionality in non-custodial peer-to-peer fashion, but we'll reduce so much friction into the whole system that now hundreds of millions and billions of people will be onboarded because all those experience just to compare it with the existing system. Right now, if you want to buy something from one application, first of all, on the developer side, they have to ask the government, okay, what is the exchange rate? Can we charge that amount of money for the people in your country? Mm -hmm. A lot of legal things have to be taken care of on the developer side. On the, on the user side, they say, okay, I'm paying, let's say, $5 for whatever, a game or a service that the that app is taking care of. And the platform is taking a 30% cut or a 15% or uh, whatever the amount is, which is additional friction. And not only that, if I, if I switch to another country or whatever uh, borders you cross, it, that process has to repeat itself and that's too much friction into the fiat system. And with Bitcoin, if it's non-custodial, now there are no borders because it's, it, it's in nobody's jurisdiction. You instantly have a global market and on the user side, you have your own balance into the application. You, just like in the Breeze podcast, in the interface of the podcast itself, I don't go out of the application to receive sats or send sats. I receive it right there or in the point of sale. And that will be available for every single application on the thing that right now uh, Breeze is developing. The SDK, so every single app on the phone can be onboarded with Bitcoin Lightning. And when People find out, okay, I can send to my relatives uh, cross borders and uh, right now, if I want to send you some sats, nobody would stop me. Nobody knows. But if we decide to, I'm sending those sats directly to you without any borders in cyberspace. And you receive it right now and it's absolutely yours in your custody and you do your property, whatever you feel like doing. It all sounds very exciting. I think the one question I always ask is, you know, when it comes to using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, or even if you wanted to use it for remittances across borders, you know, how do you deal with the question of volatility? Because some people might not want to spend Bitcoin because they think to themselves, uh, this is going to become more valuable in the future. So I'll spend my fiat. And then the person on the other end receiving it doesn't want to be exposed to the volatility, but actually is happy to engage in a technology that's actually better. About the volatility is, again, right now, we are too much ingrained into the fiat thinking and the whole fiat system. And we think that the dollar is not volatile or the Aussie dollar or the euro or the yen because everything is priced into it. If that was the case, why are prices going up forever? And they're going up in, let's say, in one local market, one shop in my neighborhood. One day they decided, okay, we need to increase our prices. They are not increasing it like, okay, we have increased it 2% this time. They increased it, I would say, 25% in a day. 
<laughs> because they have to adjust their prices uh, to the situation that is right now after all that uh, printing after COVID or whatever. And that shop, let's say you, you're buying stuff uh, there and then the shop next to it has to do the same. The shop next to it has to do the same. And it's not like, oh, it's not volatile, but we don't feel it because we are comparing everything with that medium of comparison, the dollar or the currency that you're using. And that volatility is going down and mm. the Bitcoin volatility is going up. The way that I think the important question for me to break out thinking was how do I properly spend Bitcoin? And now your mind is thinking, okay, not only that Bitcoin is going to be this best store of value and it's going to go up, but is there a way to actually spend properly? And when I ask myself this question that really ties with the Jeff Boost thesis about technology, that everything compared to Bitcoin will go down in prices. And in every other country, currency will go up in prices. Mm -hmm. What is the medium that you're using as a unit of account to compare? And when you think of that, okay, then the important thing is I want to make a list for all the goals that I have in my life. And I start writing, okay, I want to have a house, I want to have a car, or like I want to go outside of my country, like whatever you have. I want mm -hmm. to buy a tennis racket, whatever it is. And then the only thing that I have to do, even if I receive fiat, is to save in Bitcoin. When I save in Bitcoin, I'm basically saving for all that list. And when that list, the prices are reduced in Bitcoin, then I say, okay, now I'm going to buy this one thing that is going to enrich my life much more than if I just buy Bitcoin. Obviously, Bitcoin will outperform absolutely everything. But does that thing mean that you just buy Bitcoin and nothing else? I would yeah, say that's yeah. a very, very poor life. Still, yes, you're missing for sure. out on so much of the richness. And that is how I was thinking of it. If you have a uh, way, okay, this is going to become a global currency, then I save in Bitcoin and I also have some amount that I'm uh, setting aside to spend that I don't care about the prices because uh, first of all, I'm on a mission to onboard much more people. And the more people I onboard, the more the price will go up and we'll get out of this discovery price for Bitcoin and the volatility will be so much less. I would say volatility is not an argument not to save in it. Volatility is an argument from the fiat system to still keep you thinking in the fiat terms. Interesting. You know, you go and check out the price at the shop and now it's 25% more. I think it's so much easier for people to understand that where you're going like, Okay, I want to go travel overseas. What should I save in the Bulgarian currency or shall I save in Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin likely to do over two years? It might actually do badly. I tend to tell people four years generally. So when you've got saving goals, like I, I think that plan makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think for the most part, what I would tend to advise people is say, look, you've got your savings and then you've got your spending money. And so when 
I think savings, you've got short-term and long-term savings. And I think anything that's four years plus must be in Bitcoin. If you lived in a country where the currency is too volatile and you're thinking, well, I might need this capital in a, in a year, you might want to stick it in something less volatile in Bitcoin, but anything that's got any duration on it from a savings perspective, I mean, nothing will beat Bitcoin, as you say. I'm interested to know, though, what is the official um, Bulgarian uh, inflation rate and what do you think it is? Our official inflation rate was, I would say, the end of last year, I saw numbers about 19-ish percent, uh, something like that. Now it came down. And I think it's under 10 now or something around it. But with COVID, everything was turbocharged on that front. So yes. even now, I would say all those 14 years that Bitcoin was live, I think this year or the beginning of next year is the moment of Bitcoin because <laughs> something will break. I think this year, all the signals, the people that I'm following, all of them point in that direction, that uh, what happened in 2008 will happen this time, but on a much bigger scale. Nobody knows exactly what is the thing that would break, but something will break. It's uh, almost inevitable. And then they'll print so much money that your eyes will bleed. And uh, I've, we've been listening to the same stuff. <laughs> you and me have been listening uh, yeah. to the same stuff, Ivan, because, uh, yeah, like yeah. 2008 was a credit crisis fueled by housing, whereas what we have now is potentially like a sovereign debt crisis. So it's been all the debt's been pushed up to the national level. And it's anyone's guess as to how this actually all breaks, but we've already seen so much evidence of it happening. And I tend to agree with you. I think. Things are going to happen for Bitcoin if you just care about price alone as being a marker of truth um, and value. You know, looking ahead the next year, two, three years is incredibly bullish. And I think if we look at it today, I don't even know what it is, sub 30,000 US, people will probably look back in the next five years and go, my God, that was a great opportunity. But it's just this funny thing that happens with humans where nobody cares when it's cheap but when it suddenly becomes expensive <laughs> everyone yeah. wants to get in and so what's exciting for me is i have decided like okay i'm not going to try and push this down everyone's throat i've tried a lot i've tried all different types of techniques to get people on the mission but i think inevitably they will come to me in good time everyone gets the price they deserve so if you haven't put in the time early eventually you'll buy you might not even know about it. It could be in your pension fund. It could be anything, but you're going to get exposure at some point. Ivan, I want to quickly, I want to shift track now and talk a little bit about crypto and get your thoughts on that. Because it's one of the things that inspired me to start this podcast was really to help just everyday people understand how Bitcoin and crypto are just fundamentally different. I just call them different games. What is your opinion on kind of crypto? How do you look at it compared to Bitcoin? Basically, that trilemma explains uh, holistically uh, what people uh, need to think about. And uh, I'm sorry to say for anyone, anybody that is trying to create the next Bitcoin, and the next Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And because 
even if you create something that has slightly different properties or whatever. Now the network effect uh, Bitcoin took off and it will not reverse. The only way that it would reverse if something happens to the whole network and somebody else, even in that case, something else will replace it instantly. But I don't think that's possible outside of a black swan event where let's say a solar flare hits us all and we all lose electricity. In that case, we'll have much bigger problems yes. uh, or whatever. <laughs> and even in that case, if two computers stay online or if we recover um, the computers later on, we continue where we stopped. So, but on the other side, all those crypto stuff is, first of all, they're not playing the same game. They're not in the money game. They can provide some value. Like you have to really dig deep to find something that would be actually valuable. But mm -hmm. even if they provide value, I treat them that this particular token, a better analogy is like a stock in a company. Yeah. Does that mean that all stocks in a company don't have value? Yes, they do. They have a place in the market. Obviously, they're not regulated right now, a lot of them, or whatever the jurisdiction is. Obviously, they're still regulated, but not in a proper way because it's behind the scenes and all kind of shenanigans happen. But uh, again, all those crypto are stocks in a company. And the problem is because there are a lot of things happening behind the scenes. When I was binging to learn myself, I still went into crypto to confirm it for myself. And I decided to focus on one particular blockchain. And on that blockchain, I studied, let's say about 500-ish projects. And I would say 80% of them were complete scams. Uh, like they advertise or NFTs, whatever, and they are for you directly. Like the rest of the 20%, I would say 15% uh, of them, they try to make something, but they make it in such a way that they are so disconnected from reality. And they think that re normal ROI to return all your money is less than 30 days. And guess how long those projects lasted? Yeah, they yeah. lasted three weeks. <laughs> there, yeah. There's some pump uh, thing. And before the 30 days, everything <laughs> crashed because it's like so unsustainable. And especially when you don't provide something really tangible. And through all those 500 uh, projects that I researched, I managed to find one that is kind of okay that like they're the only one that is close enough for my tastes <laughs> i would say <laughs> that they are providing value but again that project is on top of a blockchain that is a proof of stack chain and when that proof of stack crashes all those 5000 plus projects that are on top are going to collapse all those blockchains are like that even if they have some value like there's so much counterparty risks that is just not worth it right now. Just put the money in Bitcoin and after 10 years, if there are some crypto left, then I might spend time and actually researching because it will be filtered out all, uh, all those scams, all those 
uh, idiots uh, that have no idea about uh, real true economics. Uh, and then uh, it might be worth it to compare, okay, is this tangible or not tangible? But my personal prediction is that even the things that last, I would say 90 plus percent of them will be built also on Bitcoin. Because that was kind of the strategy uh, of the cryptos, as I said, like Solana. Somebody decided, oh, I'm going to create something that's really fast because Bitcoin is not that fast yet. Mm -hmm. And now Bitcoin Lightning is available. The Lightning Network is available. So that is taken away from them because the market tested, okay, this is needed, but we're building it in such a way that it will last. Not like Solana, how many times they crashed <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. But let's say NFTs are something that uh, will last. It will be adopted in Bitcoin. Just like absolutely everything in the economy. You wanted to buy a house with Bitcoin previously, you can. Now there are places where you can. You want to pay in Bitcoin for a cocktail, it wasn't available. Like absolutely everything will be on top of Bitcoin, but some stuff that want to play the game, okay, let's provide something else. Sure, let's play, but let's talk in 10 years. <laughs> now, that's, uh, the, even, that's a great uh, way to think of it. Because eh? 10 years from now, the reality is that it's, it's difficult to see many of these projects lasting. I mean, I did a quick look while we were talking and Solana has a market cap of $338 million. You think to yourself, why does this thing exist? Lightning exists. It doesn't make sense. There's way too many compromises in terms of centralization, which, which defeats the whole point of this entire space. You're not going to be decentralized. I don't know what, what you're doing here. And it's, you know, as you say, like, I think the, the vast majority are just pure scams and Ponzi schemes run by insiders who sold uh, tokens to their friends at a discount and then marketed the hell out of it and then dumped on everyone. And I think there also probably are some innocent people, delusional, definitely delusional, but innocent people who think that they can solve some other problem, but it's not obvious what they're doing. But it's interesting that you actually went through that whole process of investigating because even like someone like Charlie Munger or, you know, like some, even people who hate Bitcoin, they, they've got some great principles. And the one would be like, you need to know what the opposite view is. So you got to go to go and do the work, do some research about these projects, see what's actually happening. And like you, I go, okay, that's fine. It might be interesting. Like, do we need NFTs now? Like, all right, okay, maybe there's some digital art, you know, whatever it might be. Can this all be done on Bitcoin in second, third, fourth layer? I don't know what the different layers might be or side chains. Absolutely. There's no need for it to be built in this foundation of sand. And that's what Jeff Booth says. And he's very kind when he says it to people. He goes, very sorry to tell you, but uh, this is going to zero. <laughs> and Because that's, I yeah. think eventually, like, you know, we don't need two different email protocols. We got one and it works. We don't need another internet protocol. We got one that works. This is the, the protocol value. And so I can't see like on a long enough time horizon, the point of any of those existing other than to enrich the people who got involved in the beginning and to speculate on the price. If you like gambling, go for it. I think you've said it, uh, you've put it really well. The last question I'd like to ask you before we close is, on a personal level, why Bitcoin for you? Like, why do you care about this thing? I would say 
I would refer the listeners to the Once Bitten podcast, uh, where I really go deep into it when I was on his uh, show. But for me, it is because I lost my mother because of money. And when that thing hits you emotionally and you find out that that was preventable and that was caused almost directly because of money, it takes a completely different shape for me and it's uh, so ingrained in me. And I say that the fiat system, they have no idea. Just let's say we play a mind game right now, some thesis. Right now, because crisis is coming, that crisis will have a ripple effect in, let's say, some banks failing. But the secondary effect is into people's lives. Let's say there's a market of, I'll choose a bad market because to illustrate my example, let's say of human trafficking. And let's say in that market, it still exists right now. There are people that are sent or uh, some uh, ladies are prostitutes or whatever in the human trafficking happens. And when that uh, crisis hits, now it's going to affect those people. And the people that are driving that market are complete psychopaths. And because they are psychopaths, who are they going to take it out of? Uh, directly to the people that they are selling. And it's going to affect even worse the people. People will be killed. Or let's say another place where it's already a war. In so many African countries, there is a war. And now you deplete even more the resources that are there and the violence continues. And on the other side, you find out that if you give Bitcoin to those people, now the violence can stop because uh, the property that you have is absolutely protected from every single person participating. And that is why uh, it's so important for me to Sometimes I might shove it down somebody's throat because it's much more important to have some Bitcoin and then for them to start asking questions. Why this? Why not that? Why this? Or all those kinds of things. Yeah. Because I know that the fiat system will kill people. The Bitcoin system will absolutely save people and not only save people, but protect them every single step along the way while they have it. I love it. And I'm really sorry to hear about that story. I wasn't aware that it was such a personal matter. And thanks so much for sharing that story, man. Yeah, it seems that what you're talking about is, and this is a whole separate episode almost, but you're kind of talking about how without fiat, you wouldn't have war. War is very difficult when you don't have the ability to print your own money. And that's typically when historically the gold peg has been deviated from in the past we need we need we need money uh what are we going to do let's suspend the gold um window and so yeah it's um it's it's quite unbelievable how deeply it touches different people i think here in the west i mean I, i'm obviously south african so i've seen kind of what happens to people's savings and their wealth and i can see how uh, bitcoin has this ability to transform the african continent because their leadership certainly won't and I suppose people here in the West, here in Australia at least, we're kind of insulated to an extent. We don't feel the pain of serious inflation. I mean, it's 7% officially, maybe we say it's 10%, but 
it, it's not as obvious. And I think when you relay stories like you've shared and stories I've heard from people in Africa and elsewhere, that's when I sort of really can see the true potential of this technology and how it really is a, an incredible tool for humanity and it's money for enemies. And I think your mission is really cool and it's great to see someone so passionate about it. I discovered this, this stuff in, I mean, I first heard about it ages ago, but in 2020, it just hit me in the face. I'm really pleased to have you on the show, man. So uh, thanks so much for your time. And um, do you want to maybe tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and you know, where to go for Breeze and that sort of stuff? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, Naku2000, N-A-C-K-O-O-2000. Or because I'm doing migration to Noster, at Noster, I'm Naku2000 at nosterplates.com. And about Breeze, be aware, Breeze is doing some real cool stuff. And if you want to have an application that you have nothing, zero knowledge about the Lightning Network and how to do it, but you just want to have an application to be available to the world, reach out and we'll give you the SDK. It's uh, absolute free for developers. It's open source. So yeah. Let's orange build the world. Awesome. All right. And uh, yes, to any of the listeners there, you've just heard a lot from my cat and dog in during this podcast too. So <laughs> I'll have a word with them. Ivan, it's been awesome. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Hey? Take care. Cheers. All right. So how'd you go with that? I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it made sense and that you got some value. If you have any feedback, good, bad or ugly, or any questions, I'd really like to hear from you. Uh, get in touch via Twitter, at Dale21M for 21 million. And if you found the episode useful or valuable in any way, please consider subscribing, giving it a five-star review, or otherwise just sharing it with a friend. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I'm not here to tell you what to invest in. I'm simply here to make sure that if you're going to invest in crypto outside of Bitcoin, that you do so with your eyes wide open. Much love, friends. Appreciate you all. And I'll see you again soon. Cheers.